My name is Brent, but you probably already figured that out. You probably also noticed that my life is a little abnormal. You know, the nostalgia dealing, the corgis, the podcasting. Welcome to Fandalites, the weekly podcast where Jenna and myself read and discuss each Animorphs book in order. This week we're doing Book 44, The Unexpected, which is a Cassie POV. The Animorphs have a mission to keep the Yurks from stealing a piece of crashed bugfighter from the US government, but things go pear-shaped and Cassie ends up an accidental stowaway on a flight to Australia. The Yurks attempt to retrieve her from the plane in flight, and she ends up bailing out over the outback, where she's found and helped by an aboriginal boy named Yami and his family. There's a brief vignette where she amputates his grandpa's leg, and then Cassie and the outstation end up fighting off the Yurks before she's rescued and brought home by a chi, the end. You really breezed over the amputation scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was funnier if I just mentioned it offhand. <laughs> well, let's talk about it in loving detail, because boy, this this just sort of keeps happening to Cassie. Uh, before we get too much farther, let me just pop in here. Uh, this book was ghostwritten by Lisa Harkrater, who also wrote numbers 49 and 51. Her website is ldharkrater.com, and her most recent book is a children's one titled No Place Like Space. So Cassie <laughs> is, is the most metal of the Animorphs. Yeah, agreed. We talked about this a little during the pre-roll, uh, but it's indisputable. Yeah, and this book does a good job of, of demonstrating that. She cut a guy's leg off. She dive-bombed a pistol that someone was shooting. She let a yerk in her head. Yeah, she became a caterpillar that one time. Just to prove a point. Just to prove a point. That's fucking badass. I, as the books go on and Rachel gets less due given to her and Cassie gets more due, I love Cassie more and more. <laughs> Cassie gets more due? She does. She gets more airplay. <laughs> This is another book where Cassie is sort of forcibly divided from the rest of the Animorphs, which I think is an interesting trend. It seems to keep happening. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of it. I feel like the last time we talked about this, you mentioned that because so much of Cassie's story is internal and sort of, I don't want to say bogged down by morality. I think it's uplifted, perhaps, by her morality. It, she almost has to be, she almost has to be soloed. There were a couple scenes in this one bogged down, I would say, by morality. Like when she wakes up in the unclimate controlled cargo <laughs> hold of the passenger plane and is like, well, I'm freezing to death, but I don't want to use any of these people's clothes for the duration of the flight because that's right. stealing. Yeah, it was a little... <laughs> I mean, she gets over that eventually, but not until she really, really fucks up all of the luggage and yeah, most I would of it say, gets tossed into the sea. I would say she gets over that pretty fucking quick, actually. It just takes one jar of prune juice for her to go, all right, well, I yeah. guess I'm a thief now. Yep, in, in for a penny. Yeah, I. it was a little frustrating that she was like, I don't have shoes and I'm in a cargo hold that doesn't have heat. But boy, golly, golly gee whiz, should I not eat these oranges even though I'm starving? It's like, just have as many oranges as you <laughs> want cassie this is literally your survival come on i'm glad that she at least remembered that she has a fucking polar bear morph mm. so if she really doesn't want to put on other people's clothes and she stole the cardigan anyway so what the fuck cassie 
I mean, I guess at a certain point, you just kind of got to shrug. And for me, that point would have would have come immediately after waking up in the cargo hold. I uh-huh. would not have gone through the rest of the rigmarole. I would have just said, well, I've got to find some fucking shoes. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to care like a lot about having stolen some other people's clothes if the cargo hold depressurizes and your corpse ends up in their luggage. That said, that portion of sort of Cassie's survival, survivalism was good because it kept us from having to do that later when she was in in northern australia yes <laughs> i feel like it was the trade-off is we got we got her scavenging on the plane and then we didn't have to have her scavenging on the earth so the outback <laughs> yeah um so, so cassie lands there she she has to bail out of the plane she might have killed all those people she doesn't though i mean they don't that because at the end of the book marco specifically says he that there's a somebody's offering a reward for the shitty cardigan and two bottles of prune juice she acquired <laughs> liberated she freed from their luggage encampment yeah you're right which i am curious as to whether like once they let go with that pressurization tractor beam the oxygen fell down and they just flew the rest of the way to sydney with masks or Mm. if the yurks went through and like closed the doors and rearranged everybody's luggage and whatnot because that seems not exactly their mo i mean i think they they must have kept the flight on i assume they didn't give a fuck about the luggage because you know they're evil and only evil people tamper with luggage (laughs) but but, be careful what you're accusing the tsa of (laughs) uh but i think i mean that's as much of a conclusion as we get for that plane full of people and i think it's enough of a confirmation that some of them lived there was some sort of cover-up i guess they could have made them all controllers and just left them at the airport i don't know. i don't think they would have bothered unless they have like an outpost in australia which i don't think they do so yurks went to a lot of trouble to not just blow the plane up so i guess probably they went through and closed the doors and all of that and made sure that it landed safely yeah i did appreciate that cassie did a, a hiding in plain sight thing yeah on the plane where they were going through all the people and she just sort of hunkers down in a seat with a blanket and is like i'm i'm frozen too i found that extremely stressful to read yeah oh yes it, i man she just kept getting backed farther and farther and farther <laughs> into a corner and it was like <laughs> you ever watch a tv show and it's just like hard you just feel vicariously like embarrassment or stress for the person in social situations yeah but in in prey predation situations like this nah but but i appreciate what you're saying yeah i i felt extremely stressed about cassie's situation man i thought it was very good i think she handled it pretty well it was written well enough to make me really uh stressed out reading it yeah Yeah, and then we get kind of a long interlude. It it's it, it has to be only a day because she says she's going to leave the the outback community at sundown. It felt like she was there for a lot longer. There was um, a goodly section that took place there. She got introduced to Yami's family, and his grandpa made her a boomerang. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was real cool. They were showing her how to use it. Um, but then I guess he'd cut himself with his new carving tool, which was actually a piece of bug fighter. Which ha- was the bug fighter? 
in the 747? No, I think that was she oh, shot down. Oh, that was the down. one she shot down. That's right. Yeah, she shot down a bugfighter with uh, a gun that she took off, I think, the Hork-Bajir in the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently um, apparently, bugfighter metal is hella infectious. Yeah, some sort of whack alien disease. <laughs> Don't get taxon goo in your open <laughs> wounds, people. I mean, you definitely shouldn't anyway. Even if, <laughs> even if there were not disease inherent in that, you should just not do that. Taxon goo is actually sterile, so really, it's the, the bacteria around... The, never mind, I'm not going to finish that. <laughs> Again, I always think of a really gooey, runny egg yolk when I think of the taxon popping open. So now I'm just imagining ru- rubbing gelatinous egg yolk into a, an open wound. And I don't think that's great. Sort of a, a, not a liniment exactly, but a... Kind of, kind of a liniment. A salve. Yeah, salve. Yeah, some sort of horrible salve. Gooey taxon salve. Mm. Yeah, the the it's an interesting sort of aside. She has sort of a little bit of romantic energy with Yami. Like yeah. they almost accidentally kiss and she's kind of stressed out about that because what about Jake? Yeah, and she has a little throwaway line at the end. Uh, oh, what sort of person am, person am I? And then just mm. sort of lets it drop because Which you're a should. teenager. That's what yeah, kind of person fine. you are. Christ. It's absolutely fine, Cassie. Part of me, this wasn't ever explicitly said in the book and I kind of wish it had been, but part of me was like, it felt like Cassie was low-key considering just staying and she couldn't because the Yerks would come after her but it felt like in a certain way Cassie was like what if I just didn't go back to the war there's a cute boy here I could just hang was there any scene in particular you're getting that energy from because it seemed to me like she was very concerned about contacting the rest of the Animorphs as soon as possible yeah she definitely was I don't think that energy is definitely or even slightly (laughs) in the book it's just the fact that she was flirty with Yami was like, what are you doing, Cassie? What are you getting out of this? You have to turn into a kangaroo and leave at sundown. Well, yeah, to save his grandpa. Yeah, and then never come back. Like she's gonna get the she's she's gonna get the flying doctor, and then she's gonna bail because she has shit to do. This book kept throwing me curveballs because I really thought that the trek from the outstation to Alice Springs to get the flying doctor to save uh, his grandpa was gonna be like the latter half of the book, and instead there was a pretty lovingly detailed amputation scene. Ooh, yeah, where I just I can't believe this keeps happening to Cassie, where she has <laughs> to keep doing solo surgeries she's the only one of the animorphs with anything approaching medical experience yeah or skills just in general (laughs) rachel has skills that's true rachel she is who i thought of immediately after i said that i thought no actually rachel has very good skills too (laughs) and um jake is okay at basketball not good but okay not good but okay an axe can computer yes and marco can help him computer correct and tobias is a bird he's got all sorts of skills he's got mouse eating <laughs> skills squirrel eating skills hunting skills making the seer noise skills yeah thermal detection skills my favorite part about the surgery scene is cassie morphing into a hork because they needed a metal to cut through the grandpa's leg and i thought that was fascinating and interesting use of morph i don't know are are the hork blades actually just metal or are they just like some sort of very sharp organic material i had kind of assumed that they were like a a bone or horn type structure okay that makes sense i mean we know they're super sharp i mean she she did explicitly say that she sterilized them with alcohol (laughs) because i was a little concerned about that yeah yeah i was concerned too they were very explicit about that and she cuts his leg off 
And Yami has to hold the artery shut until she can morph back to human and t- just sew it all up. Fucking metal as hell, Brent. Yeah, absolutely incredibly metal. No sooner is she prepared to run off and get the flying doctor than Visser 3 mm. starts mind blasting everybody mm. with yeah, threats. Classic Visser This was important enough for him to personally fly to Australia. I mean, I don't think it feels like... I don't know if it's just because his vendetta against the Andalite bandits is so intense, or maybe he just didn't have anything else going on. You know, Brent? That's sometimes Visor 3 probably just gets bored. Like, I mean, you've, you've, <laughs> you have to, I bet it's a lot of minutia. I bet it's a lot of paperwork and organizing schedules and killing underlings. And it's like, I bet he's just raring to get out behind the desk. There is nothing on TV tonight. Well, sir, one of the Andalite bandits is in Australia, we think. Ooh, <laughs> Australia. I don't think that I've run on grass there yet. Yes, I like that a lot. Yeah, and then there's like a big old battle where Cassie just slaughters a bunch of people and then Yami and his family help with boomerangs and there's a dog and it's all very... It's fine. I thought that was cool that uh, that Cassie took on a bunch of them as her rue self and then Yami's family showed up uh, as the cavalry. Yeah, it was engaging. And really, really kicked some uh, some ass. Yeah, enough that there were surviving uh, Hork-Bajir who just kind of bailed because they did not, <laughs> did not want to yes. deal. Uh, so Cassie does morph into what America thinks Australia is, uh, which is a kangaroo with a boomerang in its pouch. <laughs> She, she, uh, Yami's grandfather makes her uh, a boomerang, not like one of those sport returning boomerangs hunting. Yeah. Uh, and she makes sure to grab that and stick it in her pouch before she runs off to do battle with the Yerks. Right. And then the book sort of forgets about it. Yeah, I thought it would get used. And yeah, Yami's family uses their boomerangs, but she never does. And it's definitely a dope souvenir, but it was kind of surprising that it was not, it was not Chekhov's boomerang. <laughs> this is one of the very few instances in which uh, we don't end up with a Chekhov's boomerang. Yeah. And you know, I think that's okay. That was fine. I'm curious though, like, does the boomerang, does it being in her pouch, does that make it count as skin tight? When she morphs back to kangaroo next time, will there be a boomerang in her pouch? Wait, can I counter that with an unrelated question? Yeah. Brent, can you believe the boomerang didn't come back? All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening this week. Uh, this has been Fandalites. <laughs> come back, Brent. <laughs> Brent, don't leave me. You have to send the dog after me. I won't come back without a dog. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you think... I I have to assume it just falls out when she morphs. Maybe it gets tucked in her, her leotard. Her her leotard is state flow. When she morphs and it gets when it gets damaged and then she morphs, when she morphs back, it's still damaged. Yeah, that's true. Which is actually good to know. Which isn't really something that I'd thought about before this book. No, I mean, we had that one instance of Marco morphing a man... <laughs> And it's just shredding off his body. (laughs) That instance of Marco being a fully nude adult. Yeah, a fully nude, fully adult human man. Yeah, just nude. (laughs) Actually, Brent, I want to circle back to something you said earlier, because now that I'm thinking about it, Uh because this book book felt short. Yep. And I don't know how it compares actual page length. But I think part of the reason it felt short is because after the big old battle, Lourdes one of the chi appears and is like yeah i snuck on board i'll get you back and then it's just like a hard cut to cassie being back in southern california with the rest of the animorphs part of me is wondering if there weren't a whole bunch of uh, extra chapters that got cut and and the 
Chi dropped in as a sort of plot maneuver? I mean, maybe. It might have been the case where they had this written and then uh, they went, well, fuck, this has got to be, we've got 143 pages and we've already written 200, so Mm. uh, have the Chi save them. Throw a thing in the beginning uh, about the Chi, mention the Chi, so that at the end you can have the Chi rescue them and new readers won't be that confused. Yeah. Maybe. Just seemed very abrupt, and I didn't mind. I feel like the story had more or less concluded, and, and then it, and then it was done for real, and that's fine. But now that I think about it, I wonder. There are a lot of things in this book that left me wondering. Like at the beginning, and I, I looked through again, and I couldn't find it. I had thought it was mentioned that they were at a military base. But when I looked through again, it just said airport. And I'm confused either way, because if it's an airport, why is the top secret metal bit there under guard? And then the regular plane to Australia just takes off after the gunfight on the tarmac like nothing's wrong. And if it's a military base, why is there like oranges and luggage and old man with a cardigan and prune juice taking off from there? So either way, I'm still very confused about the whole the whole setup yeah because it is definitely a passenger plane mm-hmm. but there were like because there the where the with were the marines driving the truck with the bit of bug fighter in it to where though to the airport i'm just trying to remember were the marines driving it or where was the truck stopped by the marines that's a good question um and i feel like i would have to really sit down and reread the the fight scene through which all of this establishing information is interspersed in the first like three chapters to suss it out because just skimming is not really getting me much yeah i'm skimmed it right now and it says two marine guards and then there's a separate driver so what i correct me if i'm wrong i don't think normal passenger airports usually have marine guards i don't think so but now that you mentioned i i don't know i've never seen them but i've never been on the tarmac really either yeah yeah that's fair it is kind of confusing there are there are a lot of moments in this book where i wasn't really entirely certain what was happening like early on the marines sort of hiding out and cassie's like you should not attack the yurks because they will find you and kill you and the guy was like i'm gonna shoot him anyway and it it was confusing to me how the yurks lost track of the marines because the action was not very was not always clearly described enough for me to maintain a mental picture that's another thing is I don't really, we don't really know what happened to the Marines because Jake says at the end when Cassie asks how the Marines were, well, she starts to ask and he's like, how are the Marines? And she's like, how'd you know? And he's like, ha ha, because you're Cassie, of course you care about what happened to the Marines. And then he gives her a really weird non-answer about how mm. the official story is that the Marines had just like went AWOL and drove the truck out of the mountains and haven't been seen since. But like what actually happened to the Marines? Yeah, we don't, we don't really know. If they went AWOL, then they're probably not controllers. Like, they're probably not hosts. They're just, like, hanging out in the mountains with their piece of bug ship? They're probably dead. Huh. Well, they mentioned dropping off the the bug ship at, like, a sideshow act. No, they dropped the the drivers off the sideshow act. Why would the drivers be dropped off at a sideshow act? Uh, because why anything? I mean, that's fair. Uh, the Marines dropped the armored truck guys off in the parking lot of some roadside tourist attraction. Yeah, you're right. That's weird. They just dropped the guys off at it. Okay. What? Yeah, and then Jake's like, well, the the NASA doesn't have the bug fighter thing, but either do the Yurks. Who the fuck does? That's a great question. Probably Hecate, if I had to guess. 
If the Marines actually stole it and drove off into the woods, one, like, why? I kind of want to read that book. And and two, like, why does Jake pitch it as, like, well, the official story? Yeah, it's confusing. Why would they also just not assume? Because if I had the information Jake has, I would assume that the Yerks have it. Because the Yerks are the least likely group to just let it disappear into the mountain. Whereas the Animorphs, I guess, are just cool with that. Like, that's just fine. The story, everything about it, sounds like the Yerks killed those two Marines, took the bug fighter, and covered it up. And Jake does doesn't want to tell Cassie. (laughs) But she just accepts it. She just rolls with it. So either she got the subtext that he was putting out or doesn't care that much. I don't know. I mean, she probably had a pretty tough time getting back. Even though she was with a chi, she probably probably still had to use like airport. Like she probably still had to go and get on the plane. Yeah, and she doesn't have a passport or really any sort of identification. Yeah, she has, she doesn't even have shoes actually. She has a boomerang and she has a chi who can project holograms so maybe that's probably how they did it but still still she's yeah she's you know she's probably just tuckered out she's had a long <laughs> long day okay no yeah i get that it's it's nice that she sends a postcard to, to yami to let yeah. him know that she got home okay yeah i appreciated that i do however reject the entire premise of this yerk plan okay we've seen what happens when the u.s government gets a hold of a chunk of an alien ship because they have that andalite toilet they're keeping at area 51 it's true i forgot about the andalite toilet probably for a reason thanks brent yeah so <laughs> they're not like gonna get this piece of bug fighter and be like look proof of the alien invasion they're just gonna store it in the desert with the andalite toilet and be like hmm a piece of extraterrestrial technology for study so i don't know why the yurks care because they know the andalite toilet's there i don't know i assume the yurks are just still trying to keep a cover a relative cover on their invasion for the time being they're so concerned about keeping cover when they tractor beam and and gleet biofilter a passenger plane in in the middle of the outback and then fire a bunch of fucking lasers all over the place counterpoint we don't know what part of the bug fighter they had so maybe there was something specific about the hunk of bug fighter that they had that was okay particularly dangerous or bad maybe it had some bad technology maybe it had um maybe the room that they got was visor three's personal room and it's just full of weird torture instruments (laughs) and they were like we cannot let the humans know The humans will kink shame Visor 3. Unacceptable. Maybe Visor 3 is like, I can't tell you why, but you absolutely cannot let this piece of bug fighter get into the US government's hands. Don't look inside. Just get it and destroy it. So that's this book. Yeah, it's a good book. It went by quickly. There, there was a lot that I'm still confused about that I think if it had had another 100 pages, I wouldn't probably be confused about. Yeah. Uh, the fight scenes were a little long for my taste, I think. Yeah, I think the writing was good overall. Like, I, yeah. I, I probably could have read another 100 pages of this writing. It was really good. Easily. I was I was quite engaged uh, by the, the hide-and-seek in the game of cat and mouse in the plane. Mm-hmm. The game of hork and polar bear. Yes. That's the most dangerous game. Hmm. Uh, so we have a transmission from Zero Space, if you want to do that real quick before we wrap up. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we have uh, a, an email from Chappie. Chappie writes, Do you think if someone tried to morph back to human right up against the two-hour mark, could they conceivably get stuck halfway or with oh, just man. a few animal features? And does this mean that catboys are real in the Animorphs universe? Uh, well, I'll answer that last part first. Yes. Yeah, I think we, we can both agree that catboys are real and strong and are my friend in the Animorphs yeah. universe. Yeah, and they're super cool. We, what, when's, when are we going to get the Catboy Chronicles? It's my question. I'm pretty sure those already exist on fanfiction.net. 
Maybe. I think the rest of this, I think we, first of all, the Andalites definitely are this. So yes. <laughs> but but to speak to less canon than, no, that was more canon than canon. So I guess other canon is just canon. Just regular To speak canon. to the actual canon, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there are a couple instances in which the Animorphs are very afraid that they're going to get stuck half. Like, even in this book, Cassie is like, oh, did I get stuck as half flea? Oh, did I get stuck as that? Wait, was it flea or Se- seagull? Uh, well, seagull, she was half for a while because she was cosplaying Howard the Duck running around on the tarmac <laughs> stealing golf carts. Um, which which she calls the Marco way. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was a little funny that, that Cassie... <laughs> Like specifically coded the Marco way as steal a car and then drive it as if you stole it until I thought about it and realized that actually Marco's done that on multiple occasions. So that's legit. That is the Marco way. I mean, it worked. Kind of. She did get stuck on an airplane, but it worked. It was one component in the Rube Goldberg uh, set of circumstances (laughs) that ended up with her in the Outback. Yes. But she she falls unconscious, not positive that she'd fully demorphed. And so there's a moment where she's, she's panicked that she might be part. And then we had that one time where Marco was a giant flea because he couldn't quite break through because he was so close to the limit. Yeah, or really early on where all of them except Tobias were trying to Omo morph back from wolf wolves. and have like people yeah. faces and shit. Yeah, which is actually pretty cool. Like getting, being a hawk nothlet is pretty legit. But if, if I had to choose a secondary nothlet to be, I think probably a half half animal would be pretty dope. Do you think wolf with a person face? Like a like an illustration out of the medieval Bible? <laughs> probably not that specifically. I don't know what it would be specifically. I'd have to think that over. But when you become a nothlet, you, you lose your ability to morph. So that's it. It would just be that. You know, unless the, uh, unless the Alan takes an interest in you yeah we can't all be so lucky we're not all elfangor's abandoned children or are we are we all elfangor's abandoned children i mean andalites are pretty freaky but we don't know how many young they have at once i meant in a metaphysical sense i'm starting a religion now oh (laughs) you had me and then you lost me brent (laughs) that's okay <laughs> it's okay. What Brent, if you could be if you could be a part human, part animal nothlet, what would you want to be? Uh I don't know. I haven't thought about it really. I know, it's a big question. There's like a lot of animals, which is unique to Earth. <laughs> there are a lot of animals, Brent. So kind of analysis paralysis. Yeah. The problem is like I feel like most of the coolest animal traits are pretty respective to their size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, having wings wouldn't do shit for me, except make it hard to wear cool jackets. Right. You know? You could do, like, Warren Worthington and X-Men and belt them around yourself. (sighs) That only works in comic books where you can sort of fudge the space of things. (laughs) All right, that's fair. Yeah. (sighs) Man, I don't really know. It's really hard. I feel like it would be something you could not visibly see that would give me a low-key superpower, like, that echolocation i don't know how that would work in a morph brent half morph i don't think you could just morph back everything but the echolocation and get stuck there i feel like that is just going to end up with a giant bat face Mm. and and non-functional skin flaps where your wings should be Mm. you make a good attractive offer brent (laughs) just be some sort of cool bat woman yeah so you wouldn't you wouldn't become a Mothman? No, it's too obvious. It's, <laughs> it's too on brand, brand Brent. 
Sometimes you got to mix it up. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's any half thing that I can think of that sounds super attractive to me. Most of them have fur and that sounds honestly like just an absolute pain to maintain. I can't even be bothered to shave most days. Yeah, same here. It's a lot. Yeah. Having, having more hair seems like a disadvantage. Yeah, and then that really, that messes with your ability to sweat. I'm so warm anyway, I just like immediately die of heat stroke, I think. Man, it's really hard to choose a half, half creature to be. This is way more difficult question than I anticipated it being, Brent. I think the answer is none. None of them. I want, if fans, if you have a strong thought on what half animal, half human you'd want to be, please do add us on Twitter because I'm, I'm, I'm coming up blank. Oh no, I got it. I got it. Oh, okay. What? Half me, half a skinnier person. <laughs> oh. Oh, Boom. Brent. Solved. I, yeah, I could see, I could see morphing half me, half a taller person so that I can, I can finally dominate a Reach room Reach the things on your shelves. Yeah. Yes. Intimidate people the way I was always meant to. I'll finally, I could finally be as tall as I think I am. <laughs> as tall as my dogs think they are. <laughs> <laughs> that's tragic because your dogs are extra small because they are yes, corgis. Yes, short little stompers. Yeah, I'll I'll think about it. I'll try to have a good answer for next week. I'm not going to think about it because I came on. I stumbled on my perfect answer. Yeah, well, you did it. You won the question, Brent. Yes, Brent won. Jenna like six or something. I'm keeping track. <laughs> Just assume one won. I ask a lot of questions that I already know the answers to, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so that'll do it for this week. Um, thanks for listening. If you have anything that you want to say to us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Vandalites. Uh, you email us, Vandalites at gmail.com. Um, we have a Tumblr, Vandalites.tumblr.com. You can subscribe to our podcast or listen to it at Vandalites.com. Next week, we will be doing Book 45, The Revelation. It's a Marco POV, and I assume that he does like a bunch of shrooms and gets real angry about Rome. No, that's Why revelations. You... That's revelations. Oh, My bad. Uh, was, I like that one a lot, friend. That was very good. You got me. <laughs> uh, thanks to Dustin Odell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find more of his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. And until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug. Nostalgia is a drug.